0: Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to As A Woman. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. Today, I'm going to break down some of those top fertility myths that you may have heard. We're going to talk about what is true, what is not true, and what I think you should know. These myths were all submitted on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and I can't wait to dive into them all with you. But first, before we do, I want to talk about this week's Fertility in the News. So this week, I'm talking about something that was published by Pop Sugar. This article is called Viably Fertile. Patients are denied essential medication because of Roe versus Wade. And this is something that as a doctor, I am hearing about all over the place. So the take-home message is that since the overturn of Roe, which was on June 25th, we have seen... People who take a medication called methotrexate being denied. Now, methotrexate is a medication that can be used to end a pregnancy. It also is commonly used for treatment of ectopic pregnancies. And I've even taken methotrexate myself when I had an ectopic pregnancy. It saved my life. It allowed me to get pregnant again later, saved me from a big surgery, and saved me from the possibility of having a fallopian tube rupture. So I am... Very much a fan of being able to access medications. But outside of reproductive care, methotrexate is commonly used to treat autoimmune diseases. So, methotrexate is a folic acid antagonist, meaning it stops folic acid from being able to get into the cells. And what we have seen is that people are being turned down this medication because they're viably fertile. What does that even mean? Because they are theoretically capable. Of becoming pregnant. And so they're seeing that some doctors who are anti choice, let's use anti choice instead of pro life, doctors who are anti choice are refusing to prescribe the medications. So some doctors are not even giving it. Some pharmacists are refusing to fill the medication. And then, even from a corporate level, some pharmacists may have no problem with this, but their corporation has said that it is too risky to fill this medication, and they are no longer allowed to give it in an outpatient setting. We've even seen patients here in Austin be refused this medication, and one of the pharmacies here sent out flyers saying that they are no longer gonna fill this medication. So rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, these are autoimmune diseases that causes inflammation and it makes your immune system attack your joints. And it can also impact your muscles, your skin, your organs, and it can be really painful. And methotrexate keeps so many people in a state of such a high quality of life. It's a very effective treatment for some of these diseases. And it also is very commonly prescribed. So up to 90% of patients who have rheumatoid arthritis will use this medication at some point of their life. So even though the treatment for that medication may result in termination of a pregnancy or maybe abortifacient, as we like to say, could cause an abortion or could cause cells that are rapidly dividing to stop dividing. And a pregnancy is a rapidly dividing state. We are seeing the downstream effects of Roe being overturned that people are being denied medications when they are not even pregnant. And so this is huge. And I think another way that we need to understand how reproductive care is so intertwined just into taking care of people who have a uterus. So the fear that you might cause an abortion or help somebody into pregnancy, even treat an ectopic pregnancy, which is an extremely Known and successful treatment for early ectopic pregnancies, we are seeing fear and uncertainty and refusal. And this is scary. Ectopic pregnancy is one of the modern success stories of medicine. This used to be universally fatal. And now we have ways to detect it earlier and treat it without surgical intervention. That's huge. Treatment of debilitating diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus should absolutely be permissible. And not restricted based on fear of a secondary outcome on reproduction when did the life of the patient and the quality of life and the risk of survival become less important than fear of theoretical harm in some of these cases of a pregnancy that doesn't even exist this is mind-boggling scary and dangerous politics has infiltrated medicine and i really think we need to understand what these downstream effects are. We are likely to see certain laws come out against contraception and IUD access. We may see IVF restricted. And it's more than just reproductive care. It's really impacting the care of every single person who has reproductive organs that could carry a pregnancy. This is terrifying. So please be aware why autonomy of your own body is really so important and when you have government regulation we're going to see more and more stories like this. Okay well let's dive into some of these fertility myths which you all submitted on my Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and some of them are really good so I'm just going to go through and answer them but before I do I would like to make an announcement. I'm really excited to announce that the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course is going to be launched. This program has been over a year in the making, and I just want to give you the one-minute spiel about why it exists and what it is. I see patients in my office every day who have infertility. I don't see patients who are trying to conceive naturally, and I have really limited time to talk about lifestyle interventions. Although, I'm really a believer in your whole body and your health, and that the things that you do and the choices you make every day impact your body and they can impact your chance of success and this is knowledge that I want to give to you and I've been talking about this in all my free content for a really long time but I've wanted to do it in a more organized fashion and a more intense learning program if this is something that you really want. And so what it's going to be is 10 different modules walking you through in an order that I think is really helpful, learning more about your body, learning more about lifestyle and optimizing your fertility, and becoming a better advocate for yourself. The goal of the course is if you're just trying to start out getting pregnant or you're trying to get pregnant naturally, it's providing some basics on what you should do to optimize your natural fertility. But it's also going to be very helpful for people who are in fertility treatments and finding controversial information online, or just not sure who to turn to. There will be monthly office hours where we can all get on a call together. So those will be group calls. And there's also going to be a private community. So feel free to go to my website, nataliecrawfordmd.com to learn more special special bonus you can save 25 percent if you sign up before august 8th that is the pre-sale on august 8th the price goes up and that's when all the information will be released all at once if you're a binger can get it all all right so let's dive into these fertility myths number one legs in the air after sex There is no merit to this one. So you can resume any position you want to after intercourse that is comfortable for you. The sperm, those little suckers are super fast moving. So they are going to get through your reproductive tract really fast. So you don't have to keep your legs up or hold your urine in and not go to the bathroom. None of that's going to make a difference. Studies have actually shown that within... 90 seconds, sperm are already exiting the fallopian tubes. So you can have any position you want. The sperm swim out of the ejaculate. So you're left with seminal fluid and the stuff that protects the sperm from the acidic environment of the vagina. And if you feel any stuff come out of you afterward, it's all that leftover. It's not actually the sperm. So any position that you want is good. All right, another one. You have to try for a year before seeing your fertility doctor. Ooh, this one really arcs me and I know a lot of my patients too. So the official diagnosis of infertility is if you have regular periods and you have been trying to conceive for 12 months if you're under age 35. If you're 35 and older, it's six months. So those are the time frames at the latest where you should be seeing a fertility doctor or having a fertility evaluation done by your OBGYN. You can always ask for an evaluation sooner and there's some cases where you should. Number one, if your periods are irregular, don't just try. You need to get help immediately and get an evaluation. Number two, if you have history of endometriosis or ovarian cysts or surgery in the past, see a doctor from the beginning. If your mom or sister anybody in your family ran out of eggs earlier or went into premature menopause, see a doctor early. If sex is extremely painful or difficult, or your partner's having difficulty with erection or ejaculation, please see a doctor earlier. You don't know what you don't know. And so if everything is working fine, you can wait till up to 12 months. Most people, however, will have conceived if you're under age 35, by the six month mark you still have a group that will conceive between 6 to 12 but then the chance goes down significantly so you can always get an evaluation earlier if you want big asterisk if you're 40 or older i recommend you come right away to an OBGYN or your fertility doctor to figure out what's all the information you need to know because time is not on your side you may very well be able to get pregnant naturally But if you have a blocked fallopian tube, low egg count, or abnormal sperm, by no means should you waste time. Time is a valuable commodity. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. All right, birth control leads to infertility and birth defects. This one is very false. So birth control pills work by preventing you from ovulating. They stop FSH from being released from the brain so that all the eggs that come out of the vault in one given month, none of them grow. They all just die. The next month, another group is coming out. Let's remember, I like the analogy that each month you have a group of eggs coming out of the vault. They are destined to ovulate or die. Next month, another group. So if you're taking the birth control pill, they just all die. You don't ovulate, you don't get pregnant. It does not change the rate at which the eggs decline. It does not impact your fertility at all. In fact, in some patients who took prolonged birth control pills, They had improved rates of conception when stopping them and that's probably from treating other diseases like endometriosis. So if birth control pills are your contraceptive of choice, you do not need to be worried about causing infertility. And they do not cause birth defects. I don't know where that has come from, but they also do not cause future birth defects. So no risk there. Similar one is Being on the pill for many years, harder time conceiving. So in the short term, there may be difficulty ovulating for the first three months that you stop the birth control pill. It normalizes your chance of getting pregnant by six months. So what I usually say is stop the pill about three months before you want to get pregnant, maybe use condoms or other preventive measures, and then you'll be able to be clued in if you have an underlying ovulation disorder. Because your body has not been ovulating, you just may not be aware that you might have PCOS or hypothalamic amenorrhea or thyroid disease or something else. And we'd like to give you some months for that to show itself before we're behind the game. So stop those pills three months before you want to get pregnant. If your periods are regular, then by the time you start trying to conceive, you have no lower chance of getting pregnant per month and no harder time conceiving. Okay, the next one. Breastfeeding, even though ovulating, equals no chance of pregnancy. That's false. So breastfeeding causes your body to have a high prolactin level. Prolactin, prolactation, that's the hormone that helps you lactate. Prolactin can decrease the signal from the brain to send out FSH, in a really interesting study on prolactin, not in breastfeeding, but just prolactin in general, was that as your prolactin increased, you saw different ovulation disorder patterns. So when you had a mild prolactin abnormality, people actually had shorter cycles. You ovulated sooner or you had a luteal phase defect, so frequent cycles. As your prolactin got into the middle zone, you started to have longer cycles, even higher you started to skip months and at its highest, no period. So typically when your prolactin is highest at the start of breastfeeding, you're going to have no periods. Then as the intake starts to decrease or the spacing out of when you're feeding your child, you might have some lowering of your prolactin levels You might see periods come back and they may be at an irregular pattern. And if they're perfectly regular or if you have periods at all, you are ovulating. If you have a period, you're ovulating. It may be irregular. It may be more difficult to become pregnant. Prolactin also can sometimes thin out the endometrial lining so may make it harder to have a pregnancy, but it is not going to prevent a pregnancy. And let's remember, you will ovulate before you get that first period. So as prolactin drops, FSH will then increase. You'll be stimulated to ovulate. Then you'll get a period two weeks later. So if you're just having unprotected intercourse after you've given birth and you're breastfeeding, you very well could get pregnant again without ever having a period if you captured that first ovulation. Okay, you should just relax to have a baby. Is this not everybody's least favorite thing ever to hear? So, just relaxing is a terrible thing to tell somebody. However, on the other end of it, does stress impact fertility? Is that the real question? And there is evidence that high cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone, can impact your ability to get pregnant. So, should we reframe just relax, which is a very insulting and derogatory thing to say because some people will absolutely need intervention from fertility treatments to get pregnant. Yes, it's terrible. Is there merit to the statement that it's important to prioritize yourself and try to reduce your stress? There is. Even in IVF studies that have looked at subjective or objective stress, meaning you tell me how stressed you are, or I take your blood and look at your cortisol levels, we have seen evidence that it might take you longer to get pregnant naturally or have decreased success rates even with IVF. So I think it's important to reframe this. You can't just relax, but you can reframe and prioritize yourself. And so I tell every patient, and now I'm telling you, you need to take 20 or 30 minutes of the day for yourself, for nobody else but you. And I don't care how you do it. I walk with the birds outside, meditation, therapy, journaling, yoga, I don't care. Acupuncture, it doesn't matter. But you need to take some time for you where you can be disconnected from your phone and the gram and email where everybody can't get to you from work and you can just be. And that's really is important. And that really can drop some of those stress hormone downs. But that's not just relaxing. That's being proactive and prioritizing yourself. And I hate it when people tell somebody just to relax. Okay, what about IUDs can cause infertility if they are left in place for too long. The ultimate answer is no. However, I have seen some people have some infertility after an IUD. So the reason why you should be concerned is if you have had absent periods on an IUD, which I had an IUD and I loved it and I loved not having a period. So if you don't have a period, what we know is the mechanism of action preventing you from having a period is not failure to ovulate. It's a reaction of the progesterone on the endometrial lining. So we are specifically talking about your progesterone-based IUDs here, like a Mirena or a Kylena or a Skyla. So that progesterone of the IUD prevents growth of the endometrial lining. That's a warranted side effect. Yay, I have less cramps, less bleeding, possibly amenorrhea or no bleeding. However, What that means on the other end of things is that you might have no periods. So when we take that IUD out, it may take some time for your lining to grow back into a way that you actually get your periods to return. So similarly, what I say here is that if you have a period on your IUD, even if it's light, but you get a period, you're probably fine. But if you have no periods on your IUD, then I want you to remove your IUD before you're ready to get pregnant. again. You need to use a different form of contraception. So, a good option is condoms or something else. But I want to see if your periods return. And if you have had no period by six months after your IUD, you should go see your OBGYN. So, we can decide is this just a residual thin lining effect? And maybe we can give you some estrogen or something to try to help it heal up faster. Or is it an ovulation disorder or something else? So, we need to get that evaluated. So, in the short, IUDs don't cause infertility. However, they potentially can make it harder to get pregnant if you fall into the category of having no periods with your IUD. All right. What is the deal with pineapple? If you eat pineapple, it is the secret fertility fruit. Oh my gosh, I love this one. This is a huge one. You'll hear people eating pineapple core specifically on the day of their embryo transfer. In the fertility world, this is a very big one. So what's the deal? Pineapple core has something called bromelain in it. Bromelain is an anti-inflammatory and a blood thinning agent, an anticoagulation agent. And what it does is that it can theoretically impact your immune system because it's an anti-inflammatory. And we would hope that it could improve implantation and increase that blood flow to the uterus. So the recommendation here or the thought is that you should eat the core of a pineapple where bromelain content is the highest, when you're having an embryo transfer, or about seven days after ovulation when implantation should be occurring. And there's not a true study showing that this is true. But on the other end, Pineapple does have bromelain. Bromelain's not bad for you. Is it going to hurt you to eat pineapple? No. The only precaution is that if you're taking blood thinners for a different reason, sometimes I put patients on blood thinners, then I recommend you avoid this. So don't fall into this category if you're on Lovenox or another blood thinner already. But if you're not and you want to have pineapple core on your embryo transfer day, go for it. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Sticking with our food-related theme, French fries after IVF procedures. Okay. This is actually one that is a little old because this is back when we did IVF and we didn't have really great ways to freeze embryos or do genetic testing. So for the one minute context, when you go through IVF, what we're trying to do is get a group of eggs to grow forward. So that one month's group of eggs, we want them all to grow. Then we're going to take those out of the body and fertilize them with sperm and make embryos. In the past, 20 years ago. What we would do is we would take the best embryo and put it in five days later, or maybe the best two or three or four embryos, and we would try to freeze the rest of them, but they didn't always survive very well. When you do a fresh embryo transfer, that's what it's called when an embryo is never frozen, you had higher rates of something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. This is where the high estrogen made from all of those eggs changes how your blood vessels are causes the water component of the blood vessels to leak out. You get fluid on your abdomen and in your lungs. That's called ascites or pulmonary effusion. And this can also cause your blood to get Thicker, it can cause you to have kidney problems, it can cause blood clots, you can get real sick and in the hospital. OHSS is a thing that does not happen very commonly now because we can trigger different, so we run cycles differently, and we don't do very many fresh transfers, especially not in patients who are high risk. However, Back when we used to, and you would have your egg retrieval, what we would want to do is know that that's the time when your estrogen is peaking, you wanted to take in salty foods because salt helps keep the water. So if you ate those McDonald's french fries, your blood would be saltier. And that water component would stay in your blood more and not leak out as much. Same thing with electrolyte-rich fluids like Gatorade or Pedialyte. And so that is where the Eat McDonald's French fries on the day of your egg retrieval came from because it was trying to prevent OHSS. But I have tons of patients who still want to go grab French fries because they are yummy and there's no reason why you can't. So it's not going to hurt you to go have French fries on the day of your egg retrieval. And in fact, comforting food is always recommended after you get anesthesia. But now you know where that comes from. A doctor at my clinic keeps pushing the keto diet or the carnivore diet, saying that plants are causing infertility. Well, that's bonkers. All studies so far have shown that eating more vegetable-based protein over animal-based protein is advantageous for trying to conceive on multiple parameters, improving ovulation, egg quality, and embryo quality. Studies looking at meat have shown that red meat particularly has been associated with poor embryo development. So I don't know what this doctor is talking about. There is some evidence that being in ketosis, which can happen when you restrict carbohydrates or you restrict your eating interval. So sometimes intermittent fasting where you avoid food in the mornings can potentially be helpful. If you're trying to lose weight, so sometimes dropping inflammation or losing a little bit of weight, a ketosis-based diet may help you achieve that short term. These type of diets have not been sustainable and also have not been beneficial if you're trying to go through IVF or fertility treatments and also potentially could be harmful to embryos. Ketosis is not a natural state, a nourishing state for your body. All right, up next. Soy milk is bad for you. Okay, I have a whole episode on soy infertility. So, even though I'm addressing this here, the take home message is that soy is not bad for you. They got a bad reputation because it's a phytoestrogen, but you can go listen to the entire episode. It's just from last month. It is a little science heavy, so just there's your warning. But I really dive into some of the studies showing you that soy is not harmful, and diets that are high in soy actually have improved fertility rates. So if you are a soy consumer like I am, do so without fear. Up next, you can't have any coffee when you're pregnant or trying to conceive. Well, that is just false. So There were some studies looking in the past that high caffeine levels may be associated with miscarriage. Now, defining high was usually defining the level of more than like 500 milligrams a day, which is a lot. For comparison, a shot of espresso has about 75 milligrams. A normal grande drink from Starbucks is going to have two shots of espresso in it. Now, drip coffee, depending on how you make your coffee, is typically brewed with about 200-ish milligrams per cup. And what studies have shown us is no increased chance of miscarriage when you're having 200 or less milligrams per cup. So I tell everybody, one cup of coffee cup is a normal size coffee mug, not your Yeti, but one normal size cup of coffee a day is absolutely fine. And I will tell you from my own experience, that's what I have done during my pregnancies or when I was trying to get pregnant. I love me some coffee. So you do not have to avoid coffee if you're a coffee drinker. The big other warning is some people take coffee real, real sweet and sugar may not be the best thing for you. So really try to Limit the sugar or the syrup content in your coffee if you're intaking it every day to make it a little bit healthier. Okay, back on the food train, you guys have lots of good food myths you've heard out there. What about the Brazil nuts? So what is a Brazil nut? It's a really large nut if you haven't seen them, and they are really high in selenium. So selenium can be potentially helpful in uterine lining and also maybe a mild anticoagulant. So again, the thought was that if you take one Brazil nut, you eat it each day, it might improve blood supply to the uterus and help you get pregnant around an embryo transfer. This has not been proven in any study, although a Brazil nut a day is not going to hurt you, and nuts have a lot of really good healthy fats in them. So if you would like to do that, you go for it. What's another one about the food? The pomegranate juice. So this one's a little bit different it is that you should have palm juice before or around ovulation or around implantation. So similar, but the kind of rumor here is that it's going to help you. What is pomegranate juice? It's really rich in antioxidants. And so antioxidants can help attack free radicals. We know that inflammation is bad for both Ovulation, fertilization, early embryo development, and implantation. So, the thought is if you drink pomegranate juice in that time period from ovulation to implantation, you will improve your chances of getting pregnant. Again, not proven in any study, but it's not going to hurt you if you like pomegranate juice. Of note, there was one study that showed that antioxidants in sperm could improve sperm quality. And so, We recommend antioxidants when men have abnormal semen parameters, but things like blackberries, blueberries, walnuts, they all have good antioxidants in them as well. In addition to pomegranate juice, you guys are making me laugh. I was told to do bicycle kicks by a friend to get the sperm to the right spot while trying to conceive. I just have a mental image of this at this moment and I'm dying. Yeah, that's a hard no. I mean, Feel free to go do the bicycle kicks if you want, but you're not pushing the sperm into the fallopian tubes at all. So go for it if you want to, but that one is very, very false. Sex in the luteal phase is bad for implantation. Say it ain't so. You guys are hilarious. Um, This one may have some merit to it. So my fellowship mentor, Dr. Ann Steiner, had a really big cohort looking at natural fertility called Time to Conceive. When we looked at Time to Conceive for a lot of luteal factors and how your luteal phase impacts reproduction, but she previously did a study looking at having intercourse and the peri-implantation window, so the days surrounding when implantation should occur, And this study looked at two days before or after. So intercourse from days five to nine post-ovulation. And it did show that in cycles in which couples had two or more times of intercourse during that implantation window, they were significantly less likely to conceive than couples who had zero intercourse in that window. So the hypothesis here was that potentially does orgasm in that window? Does that cause the uterine contractions? Does that impact the blood supply? And could that impact an embryo implanting? There's no way to truly know that, but that was the hypothesis leading into this. Interestingly, in this study, there was no difference in people who had sex just one day. The difference came if you had two days or three days or more. So when we look at it that way, I think that's really important to understand is that should you have sex? I mean, maybe that's okay, but maybe you shouldn't be having sex every day in the luteal phase if you're having difficulty conceiving. Again, this was one single study that has not been replicated and we tried to replicate it in IVF cycles or IUI cycles and not enough people had intercourse to make a conclusion. So that's what we know about this, maybe. What about the rumor that stress can cause miscarriage? That's absolutely false and you did not cause your miscarriage. Even though stress might be associated with an increased time to pregnancy, it has not been associated with pregnancy loss. So you can just let that one go right away. If my mother had me in her 40s, will I be able to have children in my 40s as well? Also false. Your mother's age of conception has no bearing on your ability to conceive later. The only caveat is if your mother went through ovarian failure at an early age, you are statistically more likely to go through menopause at an earlier age, and you should seek an evaluation if that is the case. All right, there are so many more good fertility myths that this week, instead of a FFS for fertility sake q and I'm going to go over a few more of your questions or your fertility myths. But as a quick reminder, each week on Instagram on Mondays, you can submit some questions for FFS and I will answer some of them every week on Instagram on Mondays at Natalie Crawford MD and then on the podcast each week. But I'm going to answer a few more of these that were posed in a question. Does a low AMH mean bad eggs? It actually does not. AMH is anti-Mullerian hormone. AMH is made from the cells that surround all of the follicles. Remember that one egg is inside each follicle. When you have more eggs remaining, more eggs come out of that vault each month and you have a higher AMH. When you have fewer eggs remaining, you have fewer eggs come out and you have a lower AMH. When you are out of eggs, no eggs come out and you're in menopause. AMH is a reflection of ovarian reserve how many eggs you have left, or the timeline of how close you're getting to going into ovarian failure or menopause. AMH is also associated with the number of eggs you can get with IVF. AMH is Not associated with your ability to conceive naturally because naturally your body doesn't care how many eggs come out of the vault. It only cares about how many you have ovulating in a given month. Also, AMH is not associated with poor egg quality. And good studies have shown that even if you have fewer eggs, your quality is still number one directed by your age. Getting pregnant will treat and cure my endometriosis. So if we think about this, that is. Maybe I do see some patients say that after a pregnancy their endometriosis symptoms are different. Endometriosis is where you have endometrial-like tissue. The endometrium is the lining of the uterus outside your uterus, and it can cause inflammation. And remember, inflammation is toxic and makes it harder to conceive. However, pregnancy is a very high progesterone state, and progesterone counters these inflammatory markers that those tissue makes. So in theory, A pregnancy with a really high prolonged progesterone state might improve your endometriosis symptoms. And I've seen some people tell me that after they've gone through treatment. The next one is that IVF always equals a baby. And I have seen this a lot. However, what I really want to think about here is that this is false. IVF, is a really good and effective way to get pregnant. It is most dictated by how many eggs you have and your age. It is by no means a guarantee. And so people who view it as such, I'll just keep trying or I'll wait or I can do IVF at any time. That's just false. Most clinics also have a cut off or at some point, your age will become such that you won't have any genetically normal eggs left and you won't even be able to cycle for IVF. Some clinics at ages 42, we use 45. But I think it's really important that you understand IVF is not a guarantee, but it is the only thing that has higher rates of conception than natural fertility based on your age. So it is an extremely amazing technology that have helped so many people have families. All right, what about do I need a detox from my birth control before I start trying to get pregnant? This is false and people are selling you birth control cleanses or detox programs purely to make money. The birth control pill does not need to be detoxed or removed from your system. Please, 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 please do not spend your money buying those. There's no science or merit to support it. Otherwise, almost every single patient I have would need to be on that. All right, and I want to end on one that says you're more fertile after a miscarriage. There was a really great study done called the Early Pregnancy Loss Study, and it looked at people who didn't even know they were pregnant, followed their urinary HCG, or pregnancy hormone levels, and it did show that people who'd had a positive HCG and then went on to have a a period, so they had a loss, a chemical loss, were more apt to get fertile in the subsequent cycle. And this is telling us what I think is that miscarriage is terrible and hard I had four of them myself but it is telling you that certain things are working embryo and sperm can meet and an embryo can start to implant because that's the only way you get that pregnancy hormone in your blood or urine and that if those things are working overall your chance of getting pregnant again in the future is going to be higher. So do we see higher fecundability or probability of pregnancy in the next cycle after following somebody who's had a miscarriage? Yeah, we do. So do not give up hope if you've had a miscarriage. Again, thank you guys so much for being here. This episode's been really fun and I hope you learned something or at least put some of these myths to bed. If you want to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, again, Every single Monday, I will put a question box up to take some of your questions for fertility's sake that I can answer here on the podcast or on Instagram. And if you are interested in learning more about your fertility and your lifestyle and joining this course with me and getting some monthly time together, I am so super excited, nataliecrawfordmd.com and you will see the Enhance Your Natural Fertility Program sign up. You'll save 25% before August 8th. Bye friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at natalie Crawford md, and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.